Hi, I'm Donovan. And I'm Matt. And this is... Blacklight the Spotlight. Hello, hello, hello. Welcome back, listeners of Blacklight the Spotlight. I hope everyone is doing well. We are well into the holiday season, and we're coming at you with our second-to-last episode of 2020. Matt, can you believe that? I cannot. And we had been texting about this, and we're like, yeah, this will be this will be kind of nice um, just to take a little breath, because I, not because I don't enjoy hearing your gorgeous voice every day. <laughs> every day. You wish. Even the two days we take off, I hear it. <laughs> because... Sometimes I'll be typing a long email or a long text and I'll hear your voice in my head. You know, what's so interesting is you are not the only person who said that. I actually get that pretty often that when people read my text or read their email, read my emails, uh, they hear it in my voice. And I feel pretty proud of that. I'm like, okay, that means I have a strong personal voice. I love that for you. But what I totally meant was I hear you in my head going, Matt, that email's too long. <laughs> Oh, that too. I'm the angel on your shoulder telling you how to appropriately respond to an email. The angel is a very generous word. (laughs) Does an angel laugh like that? I'm your inner conscience. As opposed to my outer conscience? Exactly. (laughs) Okay, y'all. So really quick, before we kind of launch into what we're going to be talking about today, I just wanted to recap everything that we discussed last time. We had uh, a dear friend of Matt, who I've had the pleasure of meeting before, India Chanel. And uh, India is one of the founders of the nonprofit Blacklight Community. And so she spoke a lot about her experience working as a performer, but also being a multi-hyphenate, the new outlook she has on her career and how she has pivoted and the lessons she's learned as an entrepreneur, specifically as a Black female entrepreneur along the way. And like during this time of COVID, how their company has been able to pivot. So if you haven't already, I definitely encourage you to listen to that, to our most recent episode. It was such a joy to have her. She just, huh. I thought she brought so much levity to the episode while also dropping insane knowledge. Mm-hmm. Grateful for her. Indeed. So, Matt, what are we talking about today? Let us know. This is Entrepreneurship in a Pandemic Part 2. Now, this time we're going to be focusing on a fantastic voice from Philadelphia's performance community. So can you please tell us your name, your pronouns, how you identify as an artist, and what is giving you life in 2020? My name is Eric Jaffe. I use they, them pronouns. I am a drag performer here in Philly. And like, what's giving me life? Like, iced coffee is like the only thing that really uh, gives me the will to go on every day anymore, to be honest. That is truly all you need. <laughs> I was just doing black coffee and I was hating it. And now instead of doing iced coffee or sweetener, now I'm just not doing coffee. Oh, no. <laughs> That sounds disastrous. It's a bad idea. Very, very bad. So, uh, Eric, we're going to dive right in. We're so happy to have you with us. Thank you. Thank you. 
It, yeah, we're we're pumped. I was telling Eric right before the call. I'm like, I'm really, I'm really intimidated to speak to you because <laughs> I've, I, I've seen so much of their stuff online, and uh, it's it's incredible. Um, and of course, in person, which is what I want to speak on here. Donovan and Eyes and Mize, um, first <laughs> exposure to you live was seeing the Lizard of Oz. Loved it, Eric. Is there a way that they can? pay for it streaming live somewhere now amidst the pandemic or no? Yeah, some of our work is actually still available to stream for free uh, on our Jaffe St. Queer Facebook page, which is facebook.com slash Jaffe St. Queer. Um, I thought that it was important at the beginning of the pandemic to try to just give people some kind of entertainment that wasn't like you know, the daunting news. And I feel like we all like went through Netflix so fast. (laughs) So we did screen all three of our uh, productions. And I believe that all three are still up and available. Oh, good. And uh, folks, highly, highly recommend you go and watch it because it was one of the most wonderful, ridiculous, joyous, and very um, heart-wrenching pieces of theater I've ever witnessed. Thank you. And no, truly. And thank you. Yeah, I mean, we had done two smaller productions before this. And they were, you know, they were bar shows, they were zero budget. And this was our first time really coming out with a piece that was a show that I think the theater community could look upon and be like, wow, this is up to their whatever, you know, snobby standards of what theater should look, sound, and be like. And this isn't just a bunch of queers in a bar, you know, with a bench as the set. Um, This is a full production and that we, the people that have literally been outcast by almost every theater company in the city because of our queerness, because of our transness, because of these beautiful things that people chose to decide made us uncastable Mm. that we would take those things and we would reclaim that power and shove it right back in their face and um that's that's what we did and that's what we're going to continue to do so um in a way our theater is a, a call to theater in a larger scale saying stop it to stop what you're doing with your gender normative uh, white cisgendered casting and to cast people the way that they deserve to be cast. Amen. Well, I I thought about diving into this, but I wasn't sure where the episode was going to go, but you did open the door and I love this. So with the prom in particular, <laughs> I am assuming you have seen it on the Netflix. Yes, I have. Okay. Did you see it on the Broadway by chance? I did not see it on the Broadway, but I, I am very familiar with the show, and I really do love it. Yeah, I, I do as well. It is one of my absolute favorites, and I, I saw it on a rush ticket um, in New York, and I wept. Despite casting, which I'll we'll touch on, of course, in a second, I was very pleased with the adaptation of the film, for the most part. They didn't really cut anything down, which I was very surprised about, as is usually done in film. They did. They did keep most of it. Let's talk about that, though. I'd love to hear your thoughts. I mean, I, of course, you know, James Corden being cast as Barry 
James Corden is great. He's talented. He's kind, but he is straight. So can you give a little more insight to that? Because that's a through line that we've been experiencing on the podcast is let these different underrepresented demographics that we are talking to who don't exist monolithically either, let them perform these roles. So can you give us a bit more insight as to even if James Corden knocked it out of the park, which I think he did, but why is it so important to have queer artists playing queer roles? You know, look look back at the history of the the queer and trans movies that you've seen. I mean, straight people have been telling our stories forever now. And, um, you know, look at uh, movies like Trans America with uh, Felicity Huffman. Look at look at Brokeback Mountain. Look at those big epic, you know, films that came out like when we were younger that told these amazing queer stories. And imagine if they were actually told by queer people. People love to say that you know acting is uh, pretending to be somebody else, so anybody can play any role. But when it comes to a, a marginalized group of people talking about their experiences being marginalized, that's where it changes for me. You don't see an actor playing a straight role that's really about them being straight, which is why I think that queer people should and can play straight roles. But look at James Corden in The Prom, who had this very touching story about, uh, you know, a relationship with his mother and childhood trauma revolving being queer and going to your prom. And I, I relate to that story. But watching someone who does not understand that experience act through that experience is not pleasant for me. <laughs> you know, queer people and trans people especially deserve to tell their own stories. Uh, marginalized people in general deserve to, um, to, to act and, and tell their own stories. There are plenty, plenty, and I say this all the time, there are plenty of queer and trans actors who can do their job just as, if not better, than straight and cisgendered people. Wow, Eric, thank you so much for that. That was beautifully stated. And it reminds me a lot of, of what I'm hearing you uh, echo is some of the things we also spoke about. I think it was episode two with Pax Wrestler, who- I love Pax. Oh my God, genius. Uh, who let us know that when- straight actors are taking playing the roles of gay people or trans people or whatever it may be that it actively it's harmful because it actively takes cash out of the pockets of the people who should actually be playing those roles and so yeah thank you for echoing those uh sentiments and just kind of shining light on it in a new way for me um something that i'm curious about with with your work is you know, we've been talking a lot about pivoting. How does one pivot in the times of Miss Rona? And so I want to know a little bit <laughs> about that for you. How do you feel like the work that you're doing has adapted in these times? It's been challenging, but I feel like as a drag performer, you are always met with challenges and you are always doing so much for yourself, right? Like we are our own PR agents. We are our own marketing executives. We are our own costume designers and our own makeup artists. And so just it, it threw one more, well, not one, it threw like 20 more curveballs into what we do. And um, for, I remember the very uh, 
first gig of mine that was going to be canceled was a drag brunch. And I thought to myself, this is one of my best weekly paying gigs. And I knew that it wasn't just going to be canceled for a week. I knew that, you know, something big and bad was happening. And, you know, at that point, I think Broadway had already shut down. And it was like, all right, well, things are changing. And I just thought to myself, well, I'm just going to start doing my drag brunch from my house. So I started a digital drag brunch the very first week of the pandemic and have been doing it off and on since March. And it has, I mean, honestly, it's been like a roller coaster of emotions, which is like what I am in general these days. But, you know, I mean, I have learned so much about digital performance. You know, it's it's not anything close to what you get in real life. You know, performing live in a venue in theater or in a bar is, a, is an exchange of energy between um, whoever's on stage and the audience. And when you're staring into a screen, you don't have that. Mm. So uh, the pivot for me was great. And I'm beyond thankful that I found things that worked for me. But I would say that after every, almost every digital drag show, I'm left feeling empty. Yeah. There was nothing given back to me. And, Mm -hmm. you know, you can look back and you can read the comments and that feels nice and people can heart react all they want but it's just when you have spent your entire performance career dealing with people in person you know for me what's almost harder than that was the time that I you know I have been spending probably the last five years immersed in the queer community here in Philly and you know I think that everyone took for granted the people that they had the privilege of being around and seeing every single week and going from seeing so many beautiful queer people to seeing one beautiful queer person, my wonderful fiance, mm-hmm. is a large uh, shift. And that exchange of energy, not even just in performance, but in community, uh, was difficult. But we've made it work. The drag community has really pulled through. I mean, there has been so much incredible drag entertainment that has shifted to the digital realm. I have learned how to use a green screen, which is something that I had no idea (laughs) what I was doing with. I probably had it in my house for like three or four weeks before I even opened it because I was just so terrified of getting into all that. And, (laughs) you know, I mean, I learned a lot more about just doing all this for myself, which is something that I've been used to for a very long time, but it just sort of accentuated that and made everything enlarged and even more crazy. <laughs> mm, heard. Oh, thanks for sharing that. I, I was watching Love Actually this week. And nice. At the, oh, it's so good. Do you both like it or no? You know, I hate Christmas movies. So you know my answer. <laughs> I mean, I don't, I don't love it. I'm, I'm uh, a born and raised Jew. So the Christmas movies also don't like do it for me. You know, I've seen Love Actually and I appreciate it for what it is. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and of course, happy fifth night guests. Yes, tonight is the fifth night of Hanukkah. Thank you. Oh, yay. Happy fifth night. Uh, My point with that was I just saw people hugging at the very end and it just it made me cry because I've hugged six people all year, I think. 
Um, oh God. No, seriously. And I, Donovan, I don't even think for the two times we've hung out with masks on, I don't think we've hugged, you know? No, Matt wouldn't hug me. <laughs> yeah. I mean, watching media is kind of crazy. Like I, I think to myself a lot when I'm watching uh, almost anything like, wow, we, people really used to just like stand right next to each other and like cram into spaces. (laughs) (laughs) So you talked a bit about how the drag community has adapted, which is incredible that you are so resilient in yourselves and able to do that. How else have, I mean, I've seen some stuff pop up on Facebook of yours, which is very cool. Uh, Can you let us know some other ways that you have adapted and grown in the pandemic, either from a professional standpoint or if you feel like it, a personal standpoint? I think something that I learned about myself personally is that I need to be busy. Like, um, I have thrown myself into my work the past five or six years and sitting around my house and not having any of that available I think that my first thought was you know how do I keep this up and and with Jaffe St. Queer which is you know a theater production company we did some work and we tried to um we tried really hard to write a virtual musical um and that is just, we had to kind of take a step back and say, there are some skills that we just don't have. (laughs) And getting a group of people to sing in unison over Zoom is a skill that we just don't have. So, you know, we focused on writing and our plan is to be ready to hold auditions the second that it is safe to hold auditions. Nice. So we are writing, we are working and we did some virtual stuff with Jaffe St. Queer. We did a cabaret in the beginning of the pandemic that was called Good Grief. And each person played a stage of grief. And then we added some stages of grief that related specifically to the pandemic. And that was, that was a lot of fun. It was, it was really great. And these things, um, like airing our shows, these things were able to pay all of the artists that were involved. Uh, because thankfully we had an audience that was pretty great at the beginning of the pandemic. I would say that most shows that we uh, put out there had anywhere from one to 200 viewers. Wow. Each person gives 10 to $20 and you have a lot of funds there. And so I was very grateful that we were able to throw some money to the performers that have done so much for us, especially the fact that we work exclusively with queer and trans performers. So to be able to do that was great. And, um, you know, for myself, I've really just tried to um, find ways to keep myself occupied and that I do that through work. Um, I recently put out a coloring book um, with the incredible local artist, Frankie Rolls. Oh, cool. Yeah, Frankie has done artwork for me in the past. Frankie actually designed the Lizard of Oz flyer, um, which was a parody take on the Wicked flyer. Um, He designed the Game Miz flyer. He designed our Sweeney Todd flyer. And so we already had three really strong cartoon drawings there. And, you know, I just approached him and I said, hey, I think that this is something that people would be interested in. And um, I'm 
beyond grateful that we have sold a lot of coloring books. We've sold over 200. Wow. That's really insane to me because I've I've done the merch thing before and it mm. has not always worked out. And, you know, there if anyone listening wants a Lizard of Oz t-shirt or a pin with my cat's face on it, you can check out the ericjaffe.com <laughs> because they're, uh, you know, it doesn't always work out. But I think that with it being the holiday season and people wanting to support their local performers and local businesses, I um, am very grateful that people have, Turned out, and also having something that's family friendly for people to give their kids mm. has been great. Um, I think that one of my favorite pages in the coloring book is um, a photograph, a cartoon version of a photograph in a dress that I have that is the non-binary flag, and we put a little coloring key at the bottom so kids can color in this non-binary flag. And across my chest on the dress, it has my pronouns on it, and. I really hope that it starts a conversation perhaps with kids and their parents about what this page means. And I think that um, that is something that's really special. Wow. That's wow. That's incredible. And it's so beautiful and heartwarming. I guess as 2020 is coming to a close, the theme seems to be reflection and kind of looking back on the year and what have we, what have we learned? What do we want to manifest in 2021? And I feel really happy, Eric, that you seemingly are experiencing success um, with your company. And so I'm curious if you have any specific advice that you can offer anyone who maybe wants to follow in your footsteps or just members of your community right now, if you have any advice you can offer to kind of get through these times. Yeah, I think one of the most important lessons I ever learned in life was when I went to college and I went to school for theater, and I had the biggest dreams of being a Broadway star. And um, oh, honey, you know <laughs> um, all that jazz. And I wasn't being cast by my theater department. And the feedback that I was constantly getting was that if I wanted to be a marketable actor, I would have to learn how to disguise my voice, and I would have to learn how to move. Uh, more uh, structured, more manly. I would have to basically cover up all of the things that made me me, and I would have to hide them to be a marketable and working actor. And I did not like that. (laughs) And I learned that I can just make things happen for myself if I just really believe that they're possible and don't rely on other people to give them to me. Mm -hmm. I think that a big part of the success that I've had is the fact that I was raised by pushy Jews who (laughs) constantly told me, if you want something, go and get it, Mm. go and take it. Um, I was sick and tired of going to, I don't know if I can say this, but I was sick and tired of going to the Walnut Street Theater and seeing these whitewashed performances with the same people. Listen. With the same directors. Speak on it. Starring the same exact actors doing the same commercialized theater and getting all of the praise in the world and looking at, in my back pocket, some of my closest friends, some of the most talented people 
in this goddamn city can't get a role because you know they had top surgery and they're a soprano and casting directors don't know what to do with that do i cast you as a girl do i cast you as a boy do do you have to cast people based on their voice part or do you cast people based on their gender expression you know and there's there's so much that i learned based off of how you present yourself in an audition and and what casting directors are looking for you know and what i sorry i just went on a really long tangent no it's excellent but what i learned in general was was just to to go out there and make it happen for myself and i had these beautiful people that i was watching them uh be discouraged and i said and i just said you know let's just make it happen for ourselves let's put on a show in a bar and literally you know our very first show was a no budget uh show in a bar with literally my the kitchen cart from my house and a chair but we we made it happen for ourselves and we felt like we were really doing it you know and we didn't sit around and wait for anyone to cast us and we're going to continue to do that so i think that it's just about making it happen for yourself and that goes for theater and that goes for drag i'm working in this incredible new venue in fishtown right now and that job was not handed to me. I had to send so many emails just to get myself in there. But I knew, I I just, I knew and I had this feeling that this was the right spot for me, that it was the right place for me. And that if I was confident enough in that, then they would see it too. And I have never been the kind of person to wait for whoever is in power to give me what I want because that's just never how it that just never worked out for me growing up so I think it's just about being confident in what you do and knowing that you're the right person for it and knowing that you just have to work a little harder to make it happen for yourself Mm, hell yeah thank you so much for that Eric and you know between the work you are doing with everything in the theater and drag community with Chaffee St. Queer Productions in particular and creating that space. Plus everything that we have had happen this year with, you know, the reckoning in June and beyond with the Black Lives Matter movement, what positive changes have you witnessed being made in these various communities? Is there still a lot of work to do? Have you seen positive changes at all? What are your thoughts? Um, yeah, I mean, I think there was an incredible conversation um, had in the drag community specifically, um, led by two amazing performers that are friends and peers of mine, uh, Vinchelle and Icon Ebony Fierce. They led a, a Black queer town hall, and they called for some action, and they you know, called for there to be no more all white cast shows. They called for there to be more inclusion. They called for an end to tokenism and to really have their own footing in the drag community. And that is something that resonates with almost any industry. Who are the people on top? Who are the people that are calling the shots? And are they really including people for the right reasons or is this just you know the quote-unquote diversity hire there have been positive changes and there have been people who have felt like 
those changes need not apply to them. And I think that that does still mean that there is a ton of work to do, but it was a great year for the fact that a lot of industries have really opened up to having the conversation of systemic racism. And that I think exists in theater almost more than anywhere. I mean, they call it the great white way, you know, it's, um, it's written in the title. So Mm -hmm. I think that theater has a lot of work to do. And I think that, uh, Almost, I would say, any industry has a lot of work to do. But I think that it's very important that the conversation is happening. And I hope that people keep the same energy that was seen in June with people of all races, of all ethnicities, out in the streets and fighting for Black lives. I hope that that really continues to happen uh, in the years to come. Absolutely agree. Thank you for that. And Eric, as you know, at Blacklight the Spotlight, we like to highlight one charity organization of our speaker's choice. The one that you brought to our attention, I know a little bit about, but I I was hoping you could tell our listeners a little bit more about Attic Youth Center. Yeah, the Attic Youth Center is an LGBTQ youth center right in Center City. It is located on 16th and Locust, and it is an incredible place. I have been fortunate enough to go there a couple times and teach some drag classes and talk about gender and how gender relates to drag and um, gender performance. And it is a place that provides um, space for LGBTQ youth, especially LGBTQ homeless youth, and gives them literal shelter. And beyond shelter, it gives them resources. It is a a wonderful place that does a lot of good for the youth in our city. It's, I think that most people know um, 40% of homeless youth in America are LGBTQ kids, and that is a very high number. Hmm. Oh, well, Eric, thank you. And especially with the emphasis on kids, I I know that's something that Donovan and I have talked about and want to dive more into the future, and we really appreciate all of your work in that regard and just all the work you do in general and paving the way for yourself, paving the way for others. It is astounding the amount of work that one body and one person can do. You're just extremely inspirational for that. So thank you for taking the time to hang out with us. Have a very, very happy rest of your Hanukkah. Stay safe and just thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. 